Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, where you stay up to date in 48 on all things NBA. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside co-host World B, Michael Freer, and this is episode number 22. How was your weekend, World B? Oh, it was, it was tremendous. Got to watch some really good basketball. Sunday was an amazing day of basketball for the league. I think it really, uh, they really did themselves well, you know, in terms of getting attention. It Certainly much better than the previous Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. I thought, obviously, the games that were selected for those national TV games that we'll get to in a second uh, were outstanding. But uh, we'll get to that uh, with my uh, first quarter in tonight's show. But uh, for now, let's uh, start off with your opening tip. Yeah, for those who may have missed it, I don't know where you were because you should have seen it (laughs) on Monday morning. But Damian Lillard had one of the most amazing games in NBA history on Sunday night, coming up with uh, 71 points in a blowout victory over the Rockets. Uh, he, his numbers were just amazing. became the eighth player to score 70 or more in a game. He is the first to do it, though, in fewer than 40 minutes on the court. Played only 39 minutes. He's the second player this year to, to hit uh, 70 points, as Donovan Mitchell did it last month, uh, hit 71 as well. So, it was really an impressive uh, impressive outing for Lillard, who I think I texted you. Got a, I got on his case when he took a DMP rest yeah, after uh, first game back coming out of the All-Star break because they got stuck in the snow and all this mess. And I gave him a hard time because I, I couldn't believe it. you had the whole week off. How could you need a rest? And, well, he made up for it. He made, it, he's made everybody forget about that DMP. But, you know, it, the, and the thing about the Blazers, you know, they, they need Lillard as much as any team, maybe outside of Jokic, needs uh, – the Nuggets need one single player. Because, uh, you know, since he came back – remember he got injured in November, he missed a lot of time. He came back in early December. And since – I think it was December 4th he came back. And since then, they're the best offense in the league. They're, you know, scoring almost 120 points per 100 possessions and – they need them because their defense stinks. So they need every point they can get. And, you know, last night was just an amazing uh, game by an amazing player. Absolutely. And it, it's quite incredible that 71 must be the magic number this year with, uh, as you mentioned, both Mitchell and Dame going ahead and, and hitting that 71-point mark this year. I'll be honest, we'll be, I was watching this game as I was working out at home. Uh, late in the uh, second quarter, I believe Damian Lillard had like 25 points at halftime. And, you know, I was watching the game and, and yeah, he was hot. I mean, he was, he was making a few shots here and there, but um, I turned it off after halftime, just didn't really have much interest in watching much more Rockets ball than that. And uh, just couldn't believe when I checked in on the score late in the third quarter, just to see what was going on. And uh, man, Damian was on quite a run there and, uh, what a fantastic performance by him. So salute to Damian Lillard, uh, keeping Absolutely. those Portland Trailblazers in it somehow. Um, Absolutely. As for me, we'll, as for me, we'll be, uh, my opening tip comes Friday night. It was the Kings at Clippers game. And let me just set the stage for you here. You know, it's the late game. It's the Sacramento Kings. Those are two of my favorite combinations as far as a game to watch. And then, of course, oh, it's Russell Westbrook's debut in an L.A. Clippers uniform. I figured we'd probably talk about that on tonight's show, so I needed to be well prepared. So tune into that game, and early on out of the gates, no team could miss. Go to the second quarter, no team could miss. And I, and I tell you what, the defense was there. I mean, the def- was it perfect defense? No. But were there tough shots made late in the shot clock? Yes. And it, just the entire game, we, we, had, we had both teams just on – hot scoring runs. Every ball that was bouncing around the rim, that's kind of like a 50-50 ball was going in. Every and one opportunity was made. All free throws were pretty much converted, it seemed like. And let me just tell you a little bit. uh, Let me just break down just the quarter by quarter of what happened here. At the half, it was 80-76, to the Clippers led at home. And then at the end of the third quarter, it was 117-110, which should probably be uh, a normal ending to a game as far as a final score is concerned. And then even on a second night of a back-to-back, the Sacramento Kings didn't really lose any of their energy and, and continued to fight. And they ended up tying it up at 153 apiece at the end of the fourth quarter with Malik Monk knocking down an ice-cold three-pointer with the game on the line. And 
right after that, kind of gave us a preview of what was to come this weekend all across basketball. Kawhi Leonard actually at the horn launched a 51-foot three-pointer that almost went in as well. So the ball was just fine in the basket that night. And then um, after the first OT, it was 164 apiece. And then finally, in, in the second overtime, after 58 minutes of play, uh, the Sacramento Kings outdueled the Clippers offensively, 176-175 on a second night of a back-to-back. I can't emphasize that enough. And uh, just quite quite a performance. I mean, Malik Monk led all scorers in this game off the bench with 45 points. Kawhi Leonard earlier in that uh, second half caught fire, couldn't miss a shot even with, with double teams. He ended with 44. And uh, maybe my favorite stat of the night is the fact that between Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox, they scored a combined 87 points, which is the same amount that the Brooklyn Nets scored that night against the Chicago Bulls. Now, it was an ice-cold game for the Nets, but just truly incredible and kind of puts things into perspective just how good those two were. They scored as much as one NBA team did uh, on that night. So a lot of fun there, and uh, the Sacramento Kings continue to fight to stay atop the the Western Conference standings. So um, that was a lot of fun, and uh, it ended up being the second-highest-scoring game of all time. So quite the Friday night on my end. Do you have any thoughts on that game? Well, it was just an amazing uh, performance. As you say, there were shots all over the place. Uh, fourth quarter, Fox was big uh, for Sacramento. They came back multiple times when it looked like the Clippers are going to pull away. Um, it, it was just a really good night for Sacramento, like you said, coming off the back-to-back on the road and putting up the performance they did. They're, they're becoming one of the team one of the teams to pay attention to the rest of the season because their offense is so explosive. They're now the number one team in offense when we were talking about the Celtics for most of the season. Then it was the Nuggets, and all of a sudden, here come the Kings, here come the Kings, and then the Kings are now number one in offensive efficiency. Um, I guess 100 billion points in a game will do that for you. So, I mean, but, you know, they've been doing it all year, and we've talked about it over and over. Mike Brown's a defensive coach. They brought him in for defense. They got him from from the Warriors, where he was Steve Kerr's top defensive assistant. So naturally, he has the number one offense. It, it makes sense. And you got to give credit to Mike Brown, too. Things got really shaky there at the end of the first half with uh, DeMontis Sabonis picking up his fourth foul yep. before halftime. So he really had to kind of juggle um, that situation very tenderly. Of course, uh, believe Sabonis didn't foul out until later in the second overtime. So he actually lasted quite a bit out there, but they got some good minutes from uh, Chemezi Metu off the bench. He's been a great small ball five for them. And, uh, you know, I I have you to thank for this. Whenever Malik Monk has a good game now and I'm watching a Kings game, all I can think about is you saying, wouldn't wouldn't it be nice if the Lakers had him? They let him walk. I I think about that every time. Lakers don't need him. Lakers don't need him. (laughs) So thanks for that, Will B. That's ingrained well, in my head. And could have done it without here. Rob Palenka. <laughs> and, and with that, let's go ahead and get right into our first quarter because we got a lot of action to go ahead and recap from Sunday. It was a wild Sunday on ABC and ESPN where we had the Phoenix Suns visiting the Milwaukee Bucks. We had the Los Angeles Lakers in Dallas for a matchup with the Mavericks. And then the late game, we had the LA Clippers facing off with the best in the West and the Denver Nuggets. All were outstanding games. Of course, the one we won't talk about tonight was also a good finish in uh, the Golden State Minnesota game. But let's go ahead and start off with the uh, finals rematch uh, from two years ago, the Phoenix Suns at Milwaukee Bucks. Of course, there was no Giannis, no Durant. Uh, but did you did you get a chance to watch that game? And what were your thoughts uh, coming away from that one? Yeah, I, I I had a chance to watch the game. It was a really really good game. It was back and forth. I mean, fourteen lead changes, seven ties. Um, both uh, both teams were without their their stars of the of the moment. With uh, Giannis having to sit out and then KD still not ready in Phoenix. Uh, but it was a really exciting game. Uh, Drew Holiday. He's been money for them all year, and it was never more apparent than in this game where he came up with 33 points, a big basket late, had a steal that was huge. I think an unsung key to 
Milwaukee's 14-game winning streak now, which is you know ridiculous, is since Chris Middleton's come back, they've kept him on the bench and had him come off the bench, and it's really worked for them for whatever reason. They they you know you don't mess with a good thing, I guess, but he's really uh, whether or not he likes that role. He's really been productive in that role, and they really responded to him there. He had a double-double in this game off the bench. They haven't lost yet, obviously, since he came back coming off the bench. So I don't foresee that changing anytime soon. But it was a real fun game. Uh, you know, the Suns really could have used that for momentum heading in to, you know, what we know is going to be a wild finish in the West. And you, losing to the Bucks is not a, it's a shame in it especially the hottest team in the league. But you had that game. It was real within your grasp. And you on the road, you couldn't get it done. That's a that's one you probably really want to get. And, you know, they played as good as they could. I mean, Booker was solid. Chris Paul was solid. Uh, Jay Crowder, big threes in the fourth quarter. So it was a good game, a uh, really good game to watch. And, you know, the Bucks are on fire right now. They can't be stopped. Yeah, and for all those people out there that questioned Drew Holiday maybe being one of the last guys uh, to be named as an all-star this year. I, that was me. I think they got – yeah, well, I think you got your answer once again uh, on why he was an all-star. I think that really proved to the world as far as those that maybe don't catch the Bucks if they don't have league pass or just so happen not to watch enough of their national TV games where Giannis has sat um, – I think that was just a, a big a big statement game for Drew Holiday against uh, one of the top teams in the West, especially uh, with, with what's coming up. I mean, they're not the top now, but you know they're still one of the more competitive teams in the Western Conference. Definitely uh, give everybody a tough game in the Phoenix Suns. Um, I think what he did in that that closing seconds against Devin Booker, he had that big steal. I think that really. <laughs> I think that really haunted a lot of Suns fans because that brought back memories of that iconic sure. steal that led to that alley-oop. Yep. Uh, but I feel like anytime Drew Holiday steps on the floor against the Phoenix Suns, he just creates nightmares for those guys. I mean, he really has their number uh, in the previous matchups there. Um, I was happy for Jay Crowder. I caught some heat on social media because I did talk about, you know, he got a little sweet revenge, which, you know, we don't have to go into it again, but I thought he got a little bit of a raw deal. Um, and, and kind of how things sh- were communicated and handled uh, and him losing his starting job and not getting a chance to compete for it. Um, so it was cool to see him have some big time threes down the stretch. But, you know, I'll say this uh, on a positive note for the Suns. I think this loss, um, you know, only speeds up the urgency of getting Kevin Durant on the floor. I, I was kind of surprised, to be honest, he didn't suit up for this one. I thought for sure we'd see him after the All-Star break. Um, but you know, they got some help from Denver. We'll talk about that later with them defeating the Clippers. But uh, I'm with you, Will be You can't just mess around in the Western Conference this year, especially a team like Phoenix that has a great uh, support system with their fans on their home floor. I mean, they need to try to lock up one of these uh, home court advantage spots in the West. And uh, they're not going to be able to do that without Kevin Durant. And that was right. super apparent down the stretch. I mean, to me, as nice as it is that the Bucks won uh, and kept that winning streak alive, this game was no indicator uh, of who's the better team right now. I mean, in that last two minutes, the, the Bucks did a great job defensively doubling Devin Booker, overpressuring Chris Paul. And those are just things you're not going to get away with once Kevin Durant's there. So it, it didn't really indicate much. Of course, the Bucks didn't have Giannis either, so it goes both ways. But, right. um, you know, it's... It, it was a great game, very entertaining game. But as far as, you know, how those two teams and, and each respective con- conferences stack up against one another, without both Giannis and Duran, it's really hard to tell. I agree. And the Bucks situation is still, you know, to, to finish up with them, the Bucks situation is still, I don't think it's been resolved, even with Giannis on there. Their offense still is not there. Um, they need to figure it out because – I think there's been one team in the last 20 years to rank outside the top 10 and make the finals or, or win a championship. Um, and the Bucks aren't there right now. Their defense is becoming the best in the league or one of. So they're really playing it well on that. And the way we know they have in years past, they got to pick up the offense. They got to find it a way to get some more points and be more productive because they're just not, I don't think they can win a title as is with their offense 
where they are. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And one last note before we move on to our second game that we want to highlight from Sunday. Uh, Bucks currently on that 14-game win streak. Giannis's rookie year, they won 15 games total. Or I should say we won 15 games total because I was, you know, glad to be a part nice. of that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, the second game uh, was probably the most surprising one of uh, uh, of the evening on Sunday, and that was the uh, Lakers visiting the Mavericks. And coming out of the gates, Dallas just was red hot. I mean, they were oh, yeah. pushing the pace, as we have talked about on previous episodes. They were knocking down threes. Tim Hardway, I want to say, had 12 to 14 points in the, yeah. the first quarter alone. And uh, the Lakers really didn't have any answers. And, you know, based on – Prior years, I didn't know what to expect from this team. If they were just going to lay down, accept the loss, that that was what they did most of last season. Um, but they ended up showing no quit. They fought back. And uh, I think for Lakers fans, this is a fantastic sign uh, of things changing there because they showed the urgency and awareness that they didn't have last year. And the two guys I want to give most credit to are the two – former Kentucky standouts, and that is Anthony Davis, who was playing back at an MVP level, like we saw him play in the first 20 games of the season. And then the other one, guy I've mentioned a lot on this podcast as well, the newly acquired Jared Vanderbilt. He had an outstanding game. Um, I was surprised at the deadline that, you know, he was just so easily moved. I think he is, he, I think he's a legitimate piece for a good team. And uh, he, he definitely proved that uh, yesterday with his rebounding and energy. Uh, really liked what he brought to the table. Um, what were your takeaways from that Lakers come from behind victory in Dallas? Well, uh, my takeaways were exactly what you said. They played with a sense of urgency after they got way down. And I'll be honest with you, to backtrack just a little bit, and I didn't think this meant a whole lot at the time and kind of mocked it, but when LeBron James says during the break, I'm gearing up to play, try and play every game the rest of the season – I yep. think that it's subtle, and it turns out he's not going to because he hurt himself in this game and is ruled out for, for a Tuesday's game against Memphis. But that's legit. He's not doing a wrestling. He's actually hurt. So, But I, I honestly think that that little comment there is was a signal to the rest of the team. I'm in it to get us here. I'm not just trying to play out the string. I want to get us to the postseason. I want to get us to the playoffs. And I think – they're playing with that sit down. You get down 27, you you know, it doesn't look like it, but they made a big comeback. That's the second time this year they come back to win a game down 25 or more. That's really ridiculous. Yeah. Last month they did against Portland, and it was really a remarkable comeback. And as much as LeBron James gets all the hype, and deservedly so, he's been the attention guy all year with his chase for the all-time scoring record, this team is going to go where AD goes. If he's on the court and healthy, he is the biggest key for that team's success because offensively, I don't see it from this team. They haven't really done it all year, but they're getting better defensively, and they're getting better with AD because AD is on the court. They have since he's came he came back in late December or late January, excuse me. They have the third best opponent field, effective field goal percentage behind the Bucks and the Bulls, two of the really good defensive teams this year, and. Then it's the Lakers, and it's really he contests every shot he can. He gets all the rebounds. He was thirty and fifteen on Sunday night. It was really, really impressive. You think about it, this team missed their first fifteen threes. They yeah. won the game. Yeah, they had an effective field goal percentage of like forty six percent, which is ridiculously low, and they won the game because they really bear down on defense. Kyrie was just awful for the Mavericks down the stretch. He just had a terrible game. And I was the one who was a big fan of the trade. I'll sit up here and say it. And right now they're one and three with those two, uh, Luca and Kyrie in the lineup. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, they're teetering on the, on the edge of this fall. You know, the wheels falling off the, the track here. They're getting very close to that, the way the West is. Not over yet, but this is not a that was not a good moment for Dallas. No, especially down the stretch there in the uh, final possession for Dallas. That sideline out of bounds play looked yep. like there was some miscommunication between Kyrie and Luca as Kyrie was inbounding the ball and and turned it over, which was a 
a pivotal turnover as far yeah. as uh, the outcome of this game. And uh, that that's the exact type of scenario I'm talking about. That happens in the playoffs and things get real ugly. Easy departure for Kyrie Irving to kind of use that as, as his cop out. I'm going somewhere else. So, you know, I don't think be. we'll see it now. You know, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's now or th- that particular moment. But if these things start to build up and then something like this happens in a big playoff game, I think that could be the major blow up. And, and one of the biggest reasons I was a little concerned that this was Mark Cuban's big move was going out to to go ahead and get Kyrie Irving to pair up with Luca. But um, well, before before, before we Kyrie move- wants to bolt, you know, he needs to <laughs> do better than he needs to do better than two for 10 from three point range if he wants to. uh point the finger at somebody else on his way out the door. Cause he was, he did, was not good yesterday. Not good at all. Yep. Well said there. And before we move on to our last game that we want to talk about for this segment, um, I want to do, do give some credit to Dennis Schroeder. All right. He didn't have the, the greatest game um, from deep. He was 0 for four. Um, but this is a game. The Lakers were without D'Angelo Russell, who had been playing pretty well for the Lakers since yeah. coming over. Uh Really, Schroeder's their only point guard on their roster. I mean, you look at their bench, they play Reeves, Brown, Hachimura, Bamba, and Walker. They don't have another ball handler that can kind of assist the team when when the ball's not in LeBron's hands. And uh, he did an outstanding job. He ended up uh, leading all Lakers with a plus 17 in in the plus minus department. Um, He came up big, and he's going to have to come up big, as you mentioned, with LeBron James uh, being sidelined for their next game. They're going to need him to not only provide some scoring, um, but some stability taking care of the basketball and hopefully getting that ball to Anthony Davis. So uh, I agree. that should be that should be interesting to follow. And then for our late game last night, just to put the cherry on top to a fun Sunday, we had the Clippers visiting the Denver Nuggets. That was an outstanding game where the Clippers kind of fought their way back and made it interesting. But once again, the best team in the West – the Denver Nuggets prevailed, and uh, World Bia, what did you think of that one? That was it, that was about as fun a game as you could really hope to see because there were two really good teams. And yep. I, I think the Clippers, they lost that game. They had a rough weekend. We're going to get into that in a second here. Yeah. But they're they're really they're really playing well with those with Kyrie or uh, Kawhi and and Paul George now healthy or whatever. But they needed to close this month out on a really good note, though, because we mentioned at the beginning of the month there were no back-to-backs for them, for the team, the entire month. So they had a chance for both Kawhi and Paul George to be on the court, and they basically were except for one night where uh, Kawhi sat out for reasons I still don't understand when they're coming off a rest. <laughs> and so the, you know now we get into the March and April, and who knows what's going to happen with their – load management, injury rest, and all this other uh, silliness. So they really need to come and have a good uh, February, excuse me. And, you know, the last few games were tough. But what an exciting game. Jokic with another, you know, gee, what, 23 triple-doubles now, a 40-point triple-double, no less. He's just – he's ridiculous. He's getting the help now. Uh, yep. He's really gotten the help all year. He just doesn't have a ton of help. There's not a, you know, name guy there. Uh, they tried to they tried to give it up there at the end with a couple of mistakes down the stretch. Jamal Murray kind of fumbled around with the ball late. Uh, he didn't have the greatest shooting night, but you know they're they're still the team of the of the West or the team out West. We're going to talk about them in a little bit, and I know you want me to get this note in, so I'm going to get it in anyway. You have to Based, from from Saturday night or Friday night, excuse me, to Sunday. The Clippers scored over 300 points, and it went 0-2. That's almost impossible to do. It's not impossible. <laughs> we found out there was there were some other teams that had done it, or at least one. But that's unbelievable. To score 300 points in consecutive games total and not win either of them is pretty uh, – I don't know if it's demoralizing because professionals seem to have a unique knack for bouncing back, recovering from these more than fans do. But that, for me, that just was ridiculous. I, I just couldn't believe that they came away with those two. They're brutal losses. Two games they could have won and really carried momentum into the rest of the year. Now they got, you know, two more losses. Yeah, and no, no question about that. And, and the thing that I'm kind of noticing, having watched both the Clippers games this past weekend in which they lost, um, 
You know, they put up good points, as you mentioned there. I think Tyron Lou has a tough time right now figuring out what his rotation is. And mm -hmm. uh, that was clear to me last night um, as I was texting you throughout the game. I was very passionate about the fact that it seemed like he was giving Eric Gordon a little bit more time than he probably should have. Uh, I thought Norman Powell didn't play as much as he uh, should have in that game with what he can provide offensively. And uh, Eric Gordon was kind of a non-factor. Played 25 minutes, didn't score a point, was 0-4 from the field, uh, only had two assists. I just didn't see what he was providing out there on the floor, but maybe he's just trying to experiment a little bit with, with you know, the five-man combo uh, combos on the, on, on, the, on the floor at one time. Um, and then another thing that was apparent, too, is how much this team misses Zubak. I mean, it was huge to go ahead and get Plumley at the deadline. But now Zubak's out, and in that yeah. uh, fourth quarter late, Plumley fouled out, and that really hurt them a ton. I mean, they had no answers for who was going to defend Joker. And then if you defended Joker with your biggest man, I guess you could say, you know, they, they would try to punish you down low with either Porter or, or Aaron Gordon. So um, still not sure what I think of the Clippers. They, they obviously have an extremely deep team. Uh, full of a laundry list of names. I don't think there's another team in the league that the casual, mediocre fan could name more guys than the Clippers have. I mean, you look from top to bottom, I feel like most casual NBA fans know like probably eight to nine guys on this roster, and you probably can't say that about other franchises out here, but that only takes you so far. You got to figure out uh, how to get the chemistry out there on the floor and, um, you know, some of their – other reserves struggled as well. Bones Highland, that was a big game, him returning to Denver. Um, one thing that I did look up will be that I did mention to you, want to make sure our listeners hear here. I did some research into why they were so, I guess, open to trading Bones, and it seemed like things really got ugly there this season, so much so that he got <laughs> in trouble with his teammates over something he did. Maybe he was late for a practice or a shoot-around, something like that. They made Bones Highland – fly commercial for a road trip. I've never heard of such a thing happening around the league, but man, talk about a consequence. You must've done something really bad. I mean, typically it's, uh, you know, grab my gear or go get donuts for the team. No, you're, you're flying commercial instead of with the team to our next road game. And uh, he, he definitely heard the boo birds last night. That was, that was good. You saw, you show, showed me the article. You sent it to me. I got a kick out of it. It's uh, it was it explained a whole lot. We'll put it that way. It yeah, puts a little clearer picture. Um, and you know, you mentioned that you know the Clippers. They their schedule is, is not get any easier. That that's the problem with all this. You know, they have to go. Uh, they host Minnesota coming up on Tuesday. Then they go to Golden State. And then they go to Sacramento. In what you know should be really fun game here on Friday, and so and then they get Memphis again. So it's really you know those two games that they they could have used. Uh, imagine what their season looks like right now with those two wins. And so you know, first of all, they're in fourth place all of a sudden. Now they're in fifth. But the, you know, I'm going to talk about it a little bit later. But the West is so wild. You know, give it a week and it could all change over. Um, teams in the playing tournament could be in the playoff field. Teams in the playoff field could be out, you know, in a week. So it's it's going to be a fun situation in the West. But yeah, the Clippers really could have used those wins. Uh, I'm a big Ty Lue guy, and I think he's trying to figure it all out right now. And I think with the big three, I think eventually they'll get it going. Kawhi's looking really healthy, and he's really hitting his shots. PG-13 is going to be fine, I think. And then it's a matter of if Russ can blend in. And I told you last week, the fact that the, they play a lot of ISO ball, and Russ is Mr. ISO. So yeah. that shouldn't be a problem for uh, him to blend in the rest of the season with that unit. And Russell Russell Westbrook through two games looks just fine out there to me. Yes. I like him. I think he's an upgrade at point guard for kind of how he fits within uh, – that team with as much ISO ball that they play. I like the fact that he can be standing off ball and kind of catch it, rip and go towards the hoop. He's getting a lot more of those opportunities with this spread out floor, with the shooting that Kawhi and PG both have. 
Um, and uh, I've been impressed with him early on it, it, with the Clippers. I think he's not trying to do too much, and I don't think he will, knowing that he's got those uh, two side pieces and uh, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. But And this might be his last stop, too. Yeah, and I think he realizes that. You know, he's really got to do a good job here in order to kind of stick around because, it, yeah, yep. things are growing old with him. And um, as we get into our second quarter here, uh, let's talk about, a little bit about the Atlanta Hawks shakeup with the coaching. As the report came out, Quinn Snyder gets a five-year deal with the Atlanta Hawks. I know you've been uh, keeping your eye on the Hawks all, all year, so I'm curious to get your thoughts on that uh, coaching hire and uh, what you think that might do for the Hawks in the immediate future. Uh, I think the coaching hire is a good one. I'm a Quinn Snyder fan. I think he's me too. He proved in uh, Utah he's a uh, can be a successful coach. He, I mean, he had the uh, he had the Jazz with the best record a couple of years ago. Uh, had the number one offense one year, so he knows how to. He's been around. He knows how to coach. He's got there's plenty of talent on that on that roster, and now the heat is on the on the players. It's on Trey yep. Young. It's on you know Murray. It's on these guys, and you know. To his credit, Trey Young, who has struggled mightily with his shot all season long, back-to-back 34-point games since the firing. You know, so he's – I don't know if he's taking it upon himself to uh, be more assertive or whatever. He's just on a hot streak or it's coincidental. But, hey, 34 back-to-back games after you – you know, your coach gets fired and the heat comes on you. Yeah, that's a good way to respond. Uh, they're 2-0 in those games. And here's one thing I'll mention about the Hawks. They are the worst team in the league in terms of the lowest percentage of their field goal attempts coming from three-point range. I think like 33%, just a third of their shots are threes. When Quinn Snyder was with Utah, each of the last two seasons, the Jazz were number one in that category. They took most the most uh, highest percentage of their field goal attempts were threes each of the last two years. So expect to see that change real quick if, if you know past history holds anything um so i would expect a lot more threes from this team and now you gotta make them trey young like i said has been one of the worst shooters in the league all year from the perimeter and now he's got to uh if he can get going if they can if quinn snyder can figure out a way for him to get his open looks and do all this stuff uh they can make it it's too late to make a real serious contention run i think for this team but they can they can uh, they can get in the playoff field. Yeah, no qu- no question about that. And I really like this hire too. I mean, obviously, uh, this isn't a rebuild situation by any means. I think Quinn Snyder is a a guy that can really elevate this team uh, immediately, kind of instilling his own direction and guidance on on what this team will do offensively and defensively from here on out. And um, I think he has what it takes to kind of solve this problem they have with their guard play right now. And um, um, I, I expect a high volume of threes as well. And on top of Trey Young trying to get it going from three, another guy that they recently acquired that they need to get going uh, from three is Sadiq Bey. He's had a, a year that's mm-hmm. been quite a struggle from, from long range. It's actually a contract year, or at least this is his uh, qualifying year to where if he doesn't get a contract this year, he'll be a restricted free agent next year. Um you know, he's, he's got to play play well in order to look out for himself here. So hopefully they can get him uh, going from long range as well. And um, I think things are looking up in Atlanta, and I, I certainly wouldn't count them out as a, a, a team that couldn't be a first-round scare. I'll tell you what, the next two weeks for them, they have three games against the Wizards and two against Miami. Now, four of those, four of those uh, five games, I think, are on the road. They play back-to-back with Miami – they play back to back with with uh, Washington. They get Washington at home for one game, but those are huge games for them in that whole uh, play in tournament uh, field. Or if you want to get past them and into the playoff field, uh, those are huge games for the, for Atlanta. Five in the next two weeks against those uh, two teams. That's going to be that's going to tell a big story for their season, I think. Yep, and for the uh, second. Part of our second quarter will be, do you want to kind of explain to everyone uh, your question in regards to the Denver Nuggets and and, well, and what you have to say about this? Well, we were, t- we were texting last night watching the game, and I mentioned to you that it's 
it's because of the trading deadline and no, they didn't make a big splash uh, trade like some of the other teams. They seem like they're the most under-the-radar team for a team that's got the best record in the West that I can remember. We just don't take them very seriously as a – or as seriously as maybe we should as a legitimate contender. We talk about all these other teams. Can the Warriors get to get, get hot and get a run? Will the Sun get – now that KD is going to be there, are they going to suddenly just leapfrog everybody? Oh, and here come the Kings. The Memphis Grizzlies were the team of the moment. We've talked about these teams over and over, and at the end of the day, there's Denver with a five-and-a-half game lead over everybody in the West. They haven't had a real slump all year. They have one of the top offenses in the league now. I think it's number two after you know the Kings uh, weekend was ridiculous. They've won five out of six, and look at the teams they've beaten. You know, some of the teams they've beaten in the last uh, five wins. Miami, Dallas, Cleveland, the Clippers. Cleveland was a huge game for them. The Cavs are the best defense, in, or they were at the time, the best defense in the league. And and uh, Denver put 122 points per 100 possessions on them. They absolutely dominated offensively in Cleveland. That's a big deal for, for Denver. And it's a real telling sign that this team is not going to – we've talked about them all year, how it's the Joker and really no one else. And the numbers bear that out. We've talked about it. The difference when he's on the court and off the court in offense is ridiculous. And yep. so it's legit. It's a legitimate uh, I don't know, complainers or concern about not having enough help. But yeah, here they are. Every time we talk about them, you know, we don't really give them their due, I don't think. And I'm partly to blame, too. Their defense was one of the worst in the league the first couple of months. They're in the upper half of the league now in defense. They've climbed for a while now, and they, they continue to climb. I don't see why they can't win the whole thing. We we basically gave it to Phoenix when Kevin Durant got traded there. And I'm yeah. just saying we're not I don't think we have to do that just yet. Because somebody's gonna have to go through Denver to do it. Yeah. And I, and Denver does such a great job maintaining the pace and flow of a game. I mean when you got a guy that's the two time it's funny, you know, we, we talk about we don't talk about him enough as being a legitimate team and they have a back to back current MVP that completely controls every basketball game you can't you can't speed him up you can't slow him down he always plays at his own pace and I feel like the four guys on the floor with him uh kind of follow his lead in that regard and the only thing I'll say to kind of to be devil's advocate here and I'm definitely guilty of of questioning the Denver Nuggets is just the fact that you know Jamal Murray has had his fair share of injuries you know has he fully recovered who knows Michael Porter has kind of been up and down all season. He had an incredible game last night. I think he had like 28 points, 29 points. Yeah, he was uh, solid that one. last night. Absolutely. Yeah. But it, but sometimes he's hit or miss. So yep. I think it's more so just like the, the core two guys around him, being Jamal Murray and Michael Porter, both being kind of guys just coming back from injury and, and the questions surrounding how much they're going to bring to the table on a night-to-night basis. Oh, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I, I think you're correct. But it's just funny that we don't, you know, they, I'm looking at it right now. They lost three in a row in early December, and that's really it for yeah. slumping. They've, a couple of times they lost back-to-back games. The last time they lost back-to-back games was in late January. They lost to the Bucks and, and uh, the 76ers on the road. You lose to those teams back-to-back, that's a slump for them these days. So they just yeah. – all they do is they just go out and win. They they win enough games, and they they separate themselves to the point where even th- when Durant comes back, they're not going to have enough to catch uh, Denver at least in the West for the top seed. So somebody's got to go through Denver and beat them. And the the thing is, everybody's waiting for Jokic to deliver on get this team to the finals. I think everybody's apprehensive. It's why some play some people don't want to give him the third MVP because. For some reason, they think his postseason success or lack thereof is a is somehow a requirement for MVP. Well, obviously, it's not. And I think it t- when he when they make a nice run, and maybe it needs maybe it means a finals appearance, they're not going to get their due as a team. Just I guess guess just in the way that the Jazz during the last few years under Quinn Snyder had some really great teams and could never get out of the West. So I guess there's some maybe they fall into that category. Yeah. And with that world B, we clearly have nothing 
Uh, good to say here tonight. Not enough content uh, to discuss on tonight's show. We've reached our halftime buzzer 40 minutes in, and we'll be back with you all for the start of the second half. And we're back with our second half here. Already exhausted from the first half. That was a, a, a hard-fought battle uh, talking about uh, doing, having a lot of catching up to do here. But for we covered a lot. Yeah. Uh, for our third quarter, we want to have some fun honoring our network in Believe with a game of Believe or Disbelief. So, World B, I know that you have a question lined up for me. I've got a question lined up for you. Let's start with what you got for me. Yeah, did uh, Jakob Pertl save the Raptors' season? Believe or disbelief believe. with that? Mm. I'm going to say he did, and and here's why. I mean, they were clearly struggling quite a bit. Uh, they were a team that were reportedly looking to make a big shakeup at the deadline. Ended up not doing that. They ended up just getting uh, Jakob Pertl uh, inserted into the lineup as a true five man, which is something they were missing and certainly didn't trust uh, their other bench options to kind of fill that role. And uh, he seems to be making quite a difference. So I certainly believe that uh, Podol has been the difference right now. It's allowed Siakam to shift back to the power forward position. And finally they're, they're starting to click a little bit uh, out in the East. So I go ahead and hit believe for that. As for you, World B, believe or disbelieve, are the Wizards good enough to stay in the playing field? I'm going to say believe on that one. And wow. there's really not a reason to do it <laughs> the way they're playing <laughs> these days. But I'm going to still do it anyway. I think uh, their offense is obviously struggling. They they had a, they you know they had a really bad game over the weekend against the Knicks where they blew a 19-point lead and ended up losing. And then the the last game they got blown out by Chicago. They had their second worst offensive game of the season against the Bulls. But that's not the worst thing in the world because the Bulls, in case anybody's not aware, suddenly has an incredible defense these days. The last six weeks or so, they've been on fire defensively. Well, now they're one of the best defensive teams in the league. So it's not the worst thing in the world. It's not impressive for the Wizards, but it's not the worst. But they have a schedule coming down the stretch that gives them opportunities to stay in that field. They had, we mentioned with the Hawks, how they have so many games with the Wizards. Well, guess what? The Wizards have so many games with the Hawks coming up down the stretch. They have four games left this season against Atlanta. They have yet to play them. They have three more against Toronto, three, you know, two teams that are in that same play in mix. And so they got, you know, obviously the opportunities there. And I think with Kuzma, I think with Bradley Beal, and I think with KP, they have, a big three, and I, I personally, I believe in them. Bold. That's all yes. I'm going to say, bold. All right. <laughs> uh, your question, your question number two for this, for you, is can Patrick Beverly help the Bulls' playoffs chances? I'm going to actually believe it as well. I'm going to go on the bold side with you there, World B, and uh, you kind of just touched upon it with their defense improving. Of course, he's not going to make a world of difference uh, as far as their chances for like a title, but as far as improving uh, their record and where they may stand in the Eastern Conference uh, standings, I think he certainly does. I mean, if, if there's one thing we got to give Pat Beverly, Beverly credit for, it's his effect on the th- defensive end of the floor. He adds toughness, he adds communication, and he, from all accounts, he, he uh, you know, holds guys accountable. And that is something this team needs. Zach Levine. Is a guy that's not always bought in on the defensive end. A young guy like Patrick Williams, who's been playing better as of late, uh, is a guy that needs some help and some direction where he should be on the floor defensively in, in his spots and in his role. And, uh, you know, he at least brings a voice. And through two games, there's been quite a Pat Bev effect. Uh, they're 2-0 and with Pat Beverly mm-hmm. uh, inserted onto that roster. So for right now, I'm going to believe that. But for you, the last and final question we have for this segment can the Heat move up and finish in the top six in the East? Believe or disbelieve? I'm going to say disbelieve. Okay. And they have the talent, but they – well, first things first, uh, the teams that are ahead of them right now are really playing well. Uh, with the exception yeah. of the Nets, the Nets are up and down. 
uh, and they could fall. They could actually fall into the playing field at the rate they're going. But the Knicks don't look like they're going anywhere anytime soon. And then you're not getting past the other four in the uh, East, I don't think, if you're Miami. Now, I say this, and they go ahead on Monday and put a nice win on the road over Philly. So what do I know, (laughs) I guess? But, um, you know, they entered that snap. Monday's win over Philadelphia snapped a four-game losing streak uh, for Miami. And my biggest complaint with them, it's been the same all year. They just can't shoot. I don't know how you go from the number one three-point shooting team a season ago to being down near the bottom. I think they're third worst right now in three-point shooting. And they tried to improve at the deadline and got Kevin Love for his three-point shooting and stuff. So what does he do? His first two games with Miami goes three for 13 on threes. I mean, it's just if, – if you can't get it from the guy you traded for, um, I just – I this is a league where you got to shoot, and they can't shoot these days. They can play defense. They held uh, held Philly under 100 points tonight. Uh, Monday night, excuse me, and so they clearly can still play D. Eric Spolstra is one of the best coaches. I just think the teams ahead of them are playing better, and if they do have a shot, it would be if the Nets come back down and Miami's able to get past them. The other five in that six mix, I don't see Miami being better than them. Yep, I agree with you on that one for sure. I'm disbelieved when it comes to the the Miami Heat, but that was a little quick, fun segment there. As we get to our fourth quarter, we've got our mailbag, listener-submitted questions. First question comes from Pat, and Pat wants to know, which team has changed your perception of them the most after the trade deadline? Uh, Believe it or not, for me, it's uh, trying not to be as homer as I can, but I believe it's the Knicks. Um, yes. picking up Josh Hart was, it turned out to be really something for this team. They haven't lost since they got them. Uh, they won six in a row after their win Monday night over the Celtics, a game that wasn't really that close. Uh, he's been a huge pickup for him. They, they have, they entered Monday, just two games behind in the loss column from Cleveland, who is the number four seed in the East. So they have a shot at the rate they're going of actually getting, uh, up to that fourth spot, which would mean home court advantage in the first round. Now, the last time they did a couple of years ago, it didn't matter because um, the Hawks went in there and just you know blew the doors off them. But this is a different team. I think they're a lot more focused uh, than they were at the start of the year. I think J- uh, Josh Hart, that rotation now is really set for them. They have a quality starting unit and now a quality bench unit to go in there and it's going to put pressure on some guys. I, I'm talking to you, R.J. Barrett, to really step up your game if you want to see some time on the court. Tom Thibodeau has already shown so far in the last couple of games he doesn't mind going with Hart down the stretch and having uh, R.J. Barrett sit on the bench during crunch time. So you know if you want to get bet, you know, want to get on the court, you got to play better. So I think it's going to push some other guys, and I think that they've really opened my eyes during the uh, sense of trading deadline. I agree. And that'd probably be my top choice for that answer too. But just to have some disparity here, I'm going to go with the Phoenix Suns. We haven't seen it yet, but with Kevin Durant on board, it brings a new excitement, new life to this group um, that I thought was pretty lost for most of this season. I know they had some big injuries to Devin Booker, Cam Johnson, of course, the unique situation with Jay Crowder, but all that's kind of uh, behind them now. I think, you know, they can certainly move on almost like it's almost like the Lakers, right? Like the Lakers, it was the LeBron show. It was Russell Westbrook being kind of a distraction, just uh, fairly unfairly of how he was playing on a night-to-night basis. LeBron has the scoring title. It's out of the way now. That's put behind him. Now we're just focused on trying to win as many games and how many games we can be available with AD back healthy. And I think the same thing is going to happen for the Suns. Once Kevin Durant's in, inserted into that lineup, playing starters minutes, a uh, guy they can count on down the stretch alongside Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Um, I, I think they have the pieces to to really, you know, step the foot on the accelerator and, and start cry, climbing the rankings in, in the Western Conference. Uh, as much as I like the Sacramento Kings, I'll even go as far to say I think at the end of the season, the Suns will have a better record than the Sacramento Kings, despite what this weekend showed. And uh, I think Kevin Durant's obviously going to be a big part of that. So I think Phoenix just acquiring a superstar in Kevin Durant, which you don't get to do all too often, uh, was the the team that changed 
my perception the most. And uh, I want to thank Pat for that question. Our second question comes in from Rick, and Rick wants to know, are the Wolves going to make the play-in? I'm going to say yes. And wow. much like wow. much like with the Wizards answer, there's really nothing to fall back on when it comes to yeah. uh, Minnesota. They, they're ridiculously inconsistent. Um, and part of it's probably because I'm an Anthony uh, Edwards fan, so maybe I'm, I'm a little biased there. They went out at the trade deadline and picked up Conley, and hopefully he gets to work out with uh, Rudy Gobert if he can ever get back on the court. He's been sit- he's missed the last couple of games. Um, hopefully he'll be you know get healthy quick. But uh, you know they're just they're really inconsistent, so you don't know what you're necessarily going to get over their last 15 games. They've beaten teams like the Grizzlies, the Kings, the Warriors, the Nuggets the Jazz, and the Mavericks. All solid wins. But over those last 15 games, they also have lost to teams like the Wizards, the Hornets, and the Rockets. So, I I know, what do you get? You you actually lost to the Rockets and beaten the Kings and and Grizzlies and and Denver? I mean, what what team, what do you make of this team? Uh, But I think they have enough talent, and I think they're going to be hungry They've been doing it without Carl Anthony Towns since, you know, God knows when, preseason maybe. <laughs> it's been so long. And I think they're going to get, get it together, and I think they're going to uh, find a way to pull it out and get into playing field. I think the, the – I'm going to go the opposite direction here. I think the Timberwolves are going to fall out of it. I don't think there's enough consistency um, with this team on what you're getting on a night-to-night basis. Um, I highly question – the health of uh, Carl Anthony Towns, as well as Rudy Gobert, of how reliable he is. Um, and uh, maybe this is just me because the last time I watched the full game of them was against Charlotte, and Charlotte beat them on the road in Minnesota. Um, yep. And that was just kind of a, just an ugly game that the, the Hornets ended up a, a, out on top of. But just not a, not a disciplined team. Um, you know, not, not a big fan of their rotation. Uh just not much there. I think I think a team like the Lakers, where that has LeBron James and Anthony Davis, are, are going to be a team that you know can can boot them out. And and even in Portland, I mean, they got a young competitive squad. And if Damian Lillard uh, is able to continue to uh, kind of single handedly keep them in ball games with his clutch shooting and and down the stretch play, I I just don't see Anthony Edwards having what it takes this year to, to go ahead and carry that full load to, to maintain that playing position. The offense has been a disappointment for them with, with as much talent as they have. And we talked about the Clippers losing those two games, how bad – that was a bad loss for Minnesota on Sunday to lose to the Warriors when you're up by 12 in the fourth quarter and you, you got a chance to beat uh, the Warriors are inconsistent. We know that they're fine, but at home they're one of the best teams in the league. And you had a chance to put the hammer down on them in the fourth quarter, and you couldn't with three starters out for Golden State, and you couldn't get it done. That's I could I can understand your feeling, anybody else's feeling about um, not thinking they're going to have enough to do it. So I I like the contrarian view from time to time, and I'll take when everything fails, I'll I'll take uh, Minnesota. I think they'll have it just enough. But you're right. They they have to go out and prove it because those losses are bad losses. Terrible losses. And uh, we want to thank both Pat and Rick for their questions here tonight on tonight's mailbag. And uh, that leads us right into our best bets section. And tonight I want to focus on new uniforms, new odds, a same game parlay X of familiar faces in new places. And that starts with Russell Westbrook with the L.A. Clippers. Right now, I like him at the sportsbook for 10 points. He's scored 17 in each of his past two games with the Clippers, uh, but certainly can get him for a safe 10 points. I don't think there's going to be a night Russell Westbrook doesn't give him give himself enough of a shot to score a double figure. So I think that's an easy win right there. Mason Plumley. right now, Ivica Zubak is out. I like Plumley for five points, five rebounds. He's been extremely active, obviously a big piece uh, to the puzzle with the Clippers not having a, another big man outside of Zubak and Plumley, so he's playing heavy minutes right now. He'll continue not the to free have throw a role, line, though, right? 
not at the free throw line. But hey, <laughs> if he make if he gets too early ducking, uh, you know, dunks or, or, or quick lands or a putback, he only has to make one of those uh, left handed push shot free yeah, throws. You're right. To, you're right. To get to that five points, five rebounds is a no brainer, uh, which you can get right now in the sports books. Uh, he's averaged ten rebounds a game. Uh, so far with the Clippers through two games, and he's had seven and ten points respectfully in those outings. Another guy, former Clipper, Reggie Jackson. Uh, right now, I think the sportsbooks are really disrespecting what he can bring to this Denver uh, rotation off the bench. You can get him uh, as low as five points, and you can also get him for one three-pointer made. So I like both of those. Uh, he's averaging seven and a half points through two games, and he's made two triples in each of those games. So Go ahead and lock him in for that five points and one three-pointer made. Of course, uh, the Joker is going to space the floor and find him if he's wide open. And lastly, out in Milwaukee, Jay Crowder. I think it's safe to say you can go ahead and count on him to drill one three-pointer in a game. He's made two triples in each of his first two games with the Bucks. And so if you combine all those together, you're certainly getting plus odds on the sports book. And uh, those are the guys to keep an eye on as far as new uniforms, new odds. I like those. And with, and with that, we're going to get right to our final thoughts, Will B, and we'll go ahead and start with you. Yeah, my my final thought, we've talked about them, uh, talked about throughout the show, whatever, but I'll get uh, specific. The Western Conference down the stretch is going to be one of the most wild uh, playoff, play-in, whatever races you want to call it, that we've seen in a long, long time. Because you have, out of 15 teams, you have two teams that are battling it out for last, and they're really battling as hard as they can to to get that uh, first pick. And then the other thirteen teams are all in some sort of legitimate play-in or playoff contention. I mean, the number four seed and the number ten, uh, thirteen seed—that's ten teams—are separated by just two losses, three losses in the loss column. That's a ridiculous small amount yeah. for for 10 teams to be separated by. And it looks like Denver has a clear shot, unless they really go in the tank, to take the Western Conference and have the number one overall seed. And after that, it's really up in the air for all the seeds. And so we're looking at a really fun finish in the NBA season out West. And I know it's out West and a lot of late games. But if you don't stay up late to watch them, at least look on the internet in the morning and see how things turned out. Because I don't think you're going to be disappointed. Couldn't agree more with that statement. Great closing thought there will be. As for mine, uh, as a former video coordinator, I am certainly uh, very interested in continuing to monitor coaching rotations. And the three that I'm looking at uh, most closely right now are the Toronto Raptors. Uh, with uh, Jakob Podol being in- inserted into the mix. Preston Achua, as I had mentioned on the show, was playing ex- extremely good basketball for that group. But now they threw Podol into the mix, and he's starting to really kind of suffer there as far as his production is concerned. Um, so I really want to see if he's able to still kind of find an established role or if it's going to just be a give or take between Precious Achua and a guy like Chris Boucher, who had a strong game two nights ago for the Raptors. Uh, in that rotation. So uh, we'll continue to see what Nick Nurse does trying to iron out his set rotation. He's a guy that loves rotations. As we've mentioned, he he typically only plays about eight guys per night, might extend it to nine between Precious and Boucher, but uh, really curious to see what ends up happening there. My second team is the LA Clippers with Tyron Lue. Of course, they got Eric Gordon. They also got Mason Plumley. Let's see what he does with this rotation. Uh, Starting with Eric Gordon, obviously I talked about uh, Norman Powell, who was in the mix for six man of the year candidate, uh, had his minutes suffered just last night against the Denver Nuggets in a pivotal game on the road. And, uh, you know, when Zubak comes back, what's that going to do to Miles Plumley's minutes or uh, Mason's Plumley's minutes? Excuse me. Um, and, and, and will someone else take a hit? Will Nick Batum maybe start to take a seat if Gordon likes the ball handling of Eric Gordon and then Norman Powell on the wing? Very, just very curious to see what happens there. And then lastly, uh, the big kahuna and Kevin Durant joining Monty Williams rotation in Phoenix. Who's going to take the hit there? 
Is Terrence Ross still going to have a pivotal role as he has thus far, playing about 20 minutes a night? Josh Okogie, as we mentioned, has been playing really strong. I think it's Okogie who's going to somehow survive Kevin Durant joining this unit. Um, but really curious to see what the Suns do with a guy like Terrence Ross and another guy that plays tough defense in Ish Wainwright, who just signed a two-year extension with the Phoenix Suns. Uh, real curious to see kind of just the uh, chess pieces around the big three in Phoenix and how those will play out uh, with the Suns. And with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back with you on this on, on this Friday. And we'll be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Take care, everybody.